Hey everyone, you're listening to The Streaming Show. I'm your host, Daniel Newman, and today we've got with us Chris Knowlton, one of Wowza Media Systems' product evangelists. And today we're going to be talking about VR and virtual reality streaming. Stick around. Well, uh, I guess let's sort of dive right into it. Um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, virtual reality and augmented reality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So uh, let's just start out with some of the basics here. So uh, I feel like most people are going to know what this is, but in case they don't, uh, well, let's go through a description. What is VR? What is AR? What are the differences between the two? Yeah, that is a great question, because there does tend to be a lot of confusion as people first get started understanding these technologies. Mm -hmm. VR has traditionally referred to computer-generated graphics and putting yourself inside a computer-generated world. So think of a game you might see on PlayStation or Xbox where it's all computer-generated. It's Halo or it's Destiny or okay. something like that. And it's it's all completely made up. It is it is a alien world. It is a virtual world. It is clearly not you know, your actual world, and it's all generated by computer, and you can look around you if you're wearing a headset uh, or you just turn your controller in certain ways, you can see everything around you as if you were on this other planet, let's say. Okay. Um, in the video space, though, VR has come to also refer to when those scenarios where you have 360-degree video. You have a 360-degree video viewing experience where somebody has put a 360-degree camera in a venue that allows you to look around in all directions as if you were standing there. Okay. In, in that sense, it becomes virtual to you because virtually you are now sitting in this new place, whether you're on stage with your favorite band or you, you are at the sidelines of a Cavaliers game, uh, watching the team go back and forth in front of you down the court, uh, you, are, you have virtually transported yourself to a different location where you could not be otherwise. Cool. And so uh, a lot of people still refer to that at, for virtual reality. And, and a lot of people will, will get caught up in the semantics and say, oh, that's not really VR. But, you know, virtually <laughs> you feel like you're there. Sure. It, it may be VR to you. And, and so we refer to it rather generically as VR 360, referring to that I am giving you a 360 degree video experience and you are virtually in that location wherever that camera or cameras happen to be. Right. And then on the AR side, yeah, right. sorry, I didn't answer that. Yeah, that's where I was going. <laughs> on the AR side, that is where you're taking video that you would see, video of what's in front of you. Essentially, you uh, just like with Pokemon Go, you have picked up your phone and turned on the camera, and you see on the screen what's really right there in front of you. But in that, on that screen, you're seeing an augmentation. Something has been put there that is not actually there. Um, in the case of Pokemon Go, it's it's small, <laughs> small furry animated creatures, right? Uh, but in the case of other situations, it may be some kind of some kind of other augmentation, as you may have seen with some of the Hololens uh, videos from Microsoft, where you not only see what's there, but then other information is overlaid on top of that. Maybe it's a video playing in one corner of uh, you know, the headset that you happen to be wearing. Maybe it is. 
uh, data placed uh, over the basketball team that you're watching go up and down the court and you see, oh, look, the, the, you know, the center forward there is, uh, you know, his heart rate is 88 beats per minute and he's six foot six and he always mm. makes this shot, the three pointer shot, whatever it is, you know, you get this additional information that is not available to you if you were just there live looking at somebody. And so it takes what's there and then additional information data driven and, and puts that over your, uh, your field of vision. So you can actually get additional information that would not otherwise be available to you. And is that essentially the same technology that's being used there? Because the way that I've always kind of seen it and understood it is that essentially you're, you're mapping in essence, a, a sphere in sort of 3d space. So that makes sense for me in VR. Cause essentially you're just pasting those different, um, you know, I guess video areas of that sort of sphere in a three-dimensional space. Does AR do the same thing and then just map based off of where you're looking inside of that sphere kind of thing, if that makes sense, that analogy? Yeah, it does. It, it is location-based. So usually the augmented reality is doing the same kind of thing that VR is doing, where it there's an awareness of where you're looking and on top of that, then placing additional information. And in the case of AR, where a lot of the practical business uses for it are things like they say, go look inside that engine and you're looking at a certain spot and then they start overlaying information on it. They say, okay, now loosen this bolt. So they have keyed off it in such a way that the video is being interpreted by somebody or something, mm -hmm. you know, typically machine learning type mechanisms that go, oh, I recognize that that's the engine block and that's the spark plug we want the mechanic to get. Uh, so now I'm going to overlay this information so it perfectly maps on top of what that mechanic is looking at. Cool. And at this point, would you say that you're seeing one trending higher than the other VR over AR? I don't know. That's a little bit more challenging, I think. It sure. seems as if there is some pretty good growth on both. Mm -hmm. uh, the predictions from a budgetary standpoint, uh, when we look at what the analysts are looking at the market and, and how they expect these to grow, it seems as if AR is expected to grow by, you know, five to 10 times what VR will grow. Mm. I think part of that is just that AR can be done more easily with a lighter weight headset. And it can also have fairly clear business value in more cases than, uh, than people think VR can. Gotcha. So VR can do a lot of cool things as far as trainings and simulations and allowing you to be immersed in a situation, you know, whether it's emergency response or you're flying a plane or something like that. But AR can be used in a much broader set of categories where rather than just any situation where you might otherwise have to pull out a manual or a book or get on the phone and ask somebody questions, they can overlay the information sort of like a heads up display while you're looking at something and doing a task mm -hmm. and allow you to be hands free and, and get a lot more things done. So I think there are a lot more, at least in the short term, a lot more business applications have been identified around augmented reality. And that's probably why the projections are higher for that as a category versus VR. And of course, then we get into the, uh, the idea of mixed reality, where you sort of take the two and mix them together. And uh, that, I, 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 and we're starting to see early examples where people are taking live streaming of uh, something like a person against a green screen and superimposing that over your field of view like augmented reality. So you're getting kind of, you know, like real world live streaming, virtual reality, if you will, overlaid on top of augmented reality. So instead of having a Pokemon Go character there, you, 
<laughs> you may have an actual person uh, pointing to the engine block that you were looking at and say, okay, now, now loosen this one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's some really interesting mixed use cases that are starting to come out as well. And I think that this field is going to be moving so rapidly. Yeah. But if we come back to it in a year or two, we're going to have wildly different projections about, all right, what can we do with the technology? How fast is it moving? Which one's moving faster? Or have we, have we to some extent, lost that differentiation? Is it all just sort of lumped into one big group of, um, you know, technologies that we think of that all go together and can mix and match? Sure. Yeah, it almost seems to me like augmented reality could potentially just completely take the place of any kind of heads-up display or head-up display, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it probably could. And of course, it, since we have autonomous cars coming, we don't actually need heads up displays anyway, right? We don't need that fixed panel above a dashboard because chances yeah. are you're not going to be driving the car anyway. You're just going to be wearing a pair of glasses that give you really smart information about whatever it is you're looking at, whether it's mm. turn right here if you're walking somewhere or on a bike or, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, the menu that for the restaurant you're in, so you don't actually have to pull out a paper menu, you know, all sorts of interesting scenarios. That yeah, that'd be cool. You don't have to pick up a menu. You don't have to look at a phone. You know, it's it's just displayed there for you. And then you can, <laughs> you can even look up the reviews for it while you're in this sure. augmented reality state. So there are just all sorts of crazy use cases that people are thinking of that will just seem commonplace to us in a few years. Yeah, I can just imagine now if I was riding my bike somewhere and didn't know where I was going, just having like an arrow in front of me, just, you know, through like glasses or whatever, just pointing exactly. me where to go. Right. That'd be wild. <laughs> well, I guess let's get into a little bit of uh, a little bit more into kind of the streaming area of things. So uh, with virtual reality, augmented reality, how is that affecting broadcasts? And are, you know, are there any interesting use cases that you've seen so far that are that are kind of standout-ish or anything? Well, I think the most popular uses so far from a broadcast, from a live video streaming perspective, mm -hmm. are when folks do things like Sony did at Lollapalooza 2015 in Berlin. They put a, a 360 camera on stage uh, so that anytime a viewer tuned in, they felt like they were on the band, uh, on stage with the band. So they could wow. look to the right and see the lead guitarist, look to their left, see the drummer. You know, they really felt like they were hanging out with their favorite bands on stage. And then they had a second camera in the audience. Um, a ways back from the stage so that you could also feel like you were, you know, kind of down there with, with all the fans cheering and yelling and everything else. That's cool. And you could look all the way around and see what those folks were doing too. Yeah. And so that, that has been one case for those entertainment scenarios. And the second uh, related, I guess, is for a lot of sporting events. Hmm. So as I mentioned the Cavaliers earlier and, and what companies like NextVR are doing where they put a camera, you know, high resolution camera, uh, Mid-court sideline on the on the basketball court, or you know, in the in a in a stadium for a soccer or football game, and you can really feel like you're there. And chances are good that you know you can get a better seat <laughs> using that than you could afford to buy if you actually went to the stadium. Sure. Right? And, and, and I think I've heard somebody make that comment before. It might have been Mark Cuban saying, look, why, you know, I can sell that front row seat now if I put a camera there, maybe a thousand times for a lower cost, but certainly more than the one time that I would sell if somebody had their butt in that seat, you know, totally. why not, why not sell that experience to a lot more people who can't physically or financially, uh, manage to be in that seat themselves. Yeah. And, and it gets even more interesting as you do other creative things like for NASCAR, 
360 camera right next to your favorite driver, basically in the passenger seat, right? Right. Now you feel like you are in the race. You see how he's shifting. You see what cars are behind you, in front of you, beside you. You really, I mean, most people are not going to ever have a chance to sit in a NASCAR race in the car as it's going around the track, right? Sure. But with this camera, now every fan can have that that experience. And it, it's such a great way to get people more immersed in a sport or an event than they could ever do probably in person. And mm. so, I don't know, for a lot of folks, it is really compelling as a use case. And a lot of people are willing to pay for that too. So a lot of, a lot of businesses see it as a way to not only extend their brand and build their fan base, but also to cover their costs for it. And maybe even, uh, maybe even make a little bit of money because it's, it's compelling enough for a lot of end users. I'm, I'm even thinking about Formula One right now, and I'm, you know, with the open kind of cockpit there or whatever. If there's a camera that was up there, and you're able to look around 360, that would, yeah, no kidding. Oh my gosh, I'd be probably terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, kind of going along with being able to do live streaming and VR and AR and everything like that. Uh, quickly, does Wowza support that, and are, are we are we working pretty hard at that or, or anything? Yeah, so for us, a VR stream is really just, uh, it's an equi-rectangular stream. It basically, okay. oh, it, it's a rectangle, right? I mean, any video stream you look at today is a rectangle. What v, How VR is typically passed through a streaming pipeline is as a rectangle of video. Okay. And what happens is on the camera side, a number of cameras or, or lenses come together and a, Several camera views are stitched together in software to create a single encoded stream. And it lo looks a little funny. If you look at that rectangle of video, it looks a little warpy. Right. Uh, but at the other end, the player knows how to then depackage that and essentially create, as you said earlier, a sphere of video around your head. Mm. And so for us, it's just delivering a high definition, high bitrate stream because now you not only have the video in front of you, you have the video all around you. And so there's more data to carry. It's almost like carrying, you know, if you if you if in front of you 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 think of a small screen in front of your face, mm -hmm. uh, essentially we're replicating that, uh, you know, above your forehead, below your chin, uh, three of those or four of those by your right ear, and same by your left ear, and then another set in the back. Essentially, it's like having you know 16, 20, 30 screens all sort of around your head and having to deliver data to all of those. Mm. And so for us, it's just a question of delivering a higher bit rate. We already do that. We have customers that are delivering 4K streams all the time. We've tried streams up to 20 megabits per second. Wow. We know we can deliver all that with the technology that we already have in place. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing to support it better is just making sure that we're working with all the camera and encoding manufacturers out there that are building 360 degree video components mm -hmm and able to pull in uh, the streams that they're creating and then working with the same folks and other others like JW player that are building 360 degree player technology hmm. so that we can ensure that it all works end to end uh, through the standard technology that we have using the interoperability that we've built into all of our components. Hmm. Wow. That sounds intense, but <laughs> it sounds cool. Like uh, we're doing the right thing anyway. <laughs> Well, so I guess moving on into a little bit of the advanced stuff for uh, VR and AR here. If I was a developer and I was working on something that included virtual reality or augmented reality, is there anything specific I need to be considering or thinking about? Hmm. From a developer standpoint. I, I could even rephrase that and say, do you feel like there are any specific or unique problems, I should say, that arise for developers when working with VR or AR? Well, if you're talking about developing a streaming workflow, 
Mm-hmm. Is that what sure. you mean? Sure, I guess. I mean, uh, that would be the only, <laughs> in our case, it'd be one of the only examples. But even if I was uh, building it for an application or anything like that, I, I guess. Yeah, the, I think the biggest challenge there is less around the Wowsy technologies, because for us, it typically today usually just looks like a 4K stream. Uh, and those bit rates will just continue to go up. But for us, it's just sourcing a typical stream and, and delivering it normally. So if you're already familiar with how to develop a streaming application um, from a, a server and delivery standpoint, we already handle that quite well. Okay. So there's not anything particularly new there. Where the new challenges come in are on the encoding side Okay. Uh, and being able to... Uh, you know, have the software in place that will do all the stitching and everything and be able to pull in from that. Uh, But for us, that just looks like another encoder. Uh, On the playback side, you have to think about having a different player that you can embed on a web page, let's say, or uh, so that when you you go to a desktop, um, you're not just seeing a rectangular video, but you can actually pan around inside the video. Or if you are doing it on, say, uh, Android phone or an iOS phone, you iOS phone, you probably want to have uh, the ability to put that into a 360 mode playback. Mm-hmm. So you can either you can either pick it up in in sort of two dimensional mode, but then you move the the tablet around or the phone around, and you can see what's going on as if you were peering through a small piece of glass in a very large bubble, mm-hmm. uh, what's happening around you. Or you you put on the goggles, and it has uh, binocular vision, essentially a slightly different view for each eye, so that you actually have depth of perception and everything else that you would have as you look around left and right and behind. Uh. And, and, and so that really just, in most cases, requires that you use some player technology that's already been developed by a third party. And usually that happens in conjunction with whoever's doing the encoding software. They usually go hand in hand. But I think that's probably one of the challenges going forward is, if you are building an end-to-end workflow around 360-degree video, you probably want to make sure that your encoding partner and your player partner uh, are both on the same page. Okay. Because there is a challenge that some encoders and some players use slightly different formulas or algorithms for how they um, format the video when it's being streamed through. And you just want to make sure that they are interoperable with each other. And that's what I think that'll be one of the interesting challenges for us and and for uh, alliances like the Streaming Video Alliance, which is looking at all the different ways that people today create VR or 360 degree video and how they play it back and starting to put together terminology and perhaps even specifications around how do we make this interoperable so I could take anybody's 360 camera uh, and encoder and match that with any 360 degree player hmm. and know that it's always going to work. So you're never dependent on just one encoder manufacturer, just one player creator. Hmm. You, know, you can mix and match so that whatever technology somebody has as a viewer, they can use it with that stream that's coming to them with 360 degree video in it. Hmm. Okay, cool. Sounds complicated. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't seem that complicated. It's more just that, yeah, making sure things line up between you know, all the different points there that you're uh, creating the stream. Exactly. It's a, it's a little bit different. There's a, an additional layer of complexity to it. Um, it's a little bit different than just saying, look, I'm going to create an MP4 file or an H.264 AAC stream, which is sort of industry standard at this point, And I'm going to consume it using any player that knows how to play those back. Okay. got to still make sure that they're, they're doing it the same way. Their, their, their method of, uh, reformatting that video from a sphere into a rectangle and then back out to a sphere is the same way on each end. 
Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes a little more sense to me. That's not as complicated, I suppose. Well, I guess the last thing that I kind of was wondering about is hardware and software. Um, I'm not sure if we actually can officially <laughs> say what we like and what we don't like. I mean, obviously, we like our software for doing the streaming portion of it. Um, <laughs> but for working with uh, virtual reality or augmented reality, have you seen anything in the market at this point that's standing above the rest in terms of hardware or software? Well, there are a number of things that we're seeing on the player side okay. um, that are fairly make it fairly easy for anyone to approach. So uh, Bitmovin is uh, one of our partners. They have a 360-degree player. Next Streaming has a version of a player that uh, works really well on applications. So they have an SDK that allows you to build a player that will work on iOS and Android if you want to have that, that sort of the Google Cardboard experience where you mm -hmm. slip the phone in the goggles and, and you... Uh, you get a great 360-degree experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are also uh, other companies out there which are building similar things, SDKs that work both across desktop and mobile. Mm -hmm. On the uh, encoding side or the camera side, I guess really I'll call it the capture side, we're seeing some really interesting use cases where, uh, or, or maybe I should say, It'd be better to say <laughs> technologies coming out uh, that make it much easier to to handle a lot of the use cases. So originally, mm -hmm. when 360 degree video was coming out, it was using a whole bunch of cameras. You know, first at the high end level, it would be a bunch of Red Five cameras wow. um, or Red cameras, I should say, and you know those are fairly expensive and then there would be the gopro cameras uh so it may be 500 a pop but you might put 16 of those in a 360 degree rig wow and and so it can get pretty expensive both to create the rig that holds them together and to buy all the separate cameras and then you have to push them all into a, a single really super powerful encoding box that can mm -hmm. stitch them all together so that they look like a sphere from all these different lenses mm -hmm. uh, but that's all been taken a um I think a lot of that is coming off the table or, or, or becoming less required. You can now go buy a single camera that has multiple lenses in it and does all the stitching on board the camera mm. or on associated gear with the camera. And then all you're getting out is a single stream. Like and, uh, gy Gyroptic is an example of that, right? Yeah, exactly. There's Gyroptic. Uh, there is Insta360 just came out with a new uh, camera. very similar. They, they call it the Nano. Gyroptic has one called the IO. These are both... 200 to $250 cameras that wow. just plug into the end of an iPhone or an Android phone. Wow. Uh, their um, Insta360 just came out with an 8K camera. So it's a much higher end. It's, it's more like the prosumer model, if you will. Um, you know, and, and then Nokia at the higher end has a 40 or $45,000 camera <laughs> that is, is really designed for film professionals, right? Mm. Folks who are actually creating high-end content, doing high-end broadcasts, maybe for somebody like the NBA, uh, uh, someone like that who might be trying to sell you a premium stream for a premium experience. Right. And, and they will have higher resolution and better, better optics all around. So... It's, it's kind of cool because if you're at the high end, you can create these great experiences without having to go figure out how to build a 360-degree video camera rig. Mm. At the low end, as a consumer, you can go on Amazon.com and buy a 360-degree camera, and it will do all the stitching on board so you don't have to figure out anything about encoders and send that directly to Wowza Streaming Engine or Wowza Streaming Cloud and, and then play it back very mm. easily. And so it's it's the... It's like most things with technology, you know, the more sophisticated, the more advanced you get with understanding the technology as it progresses, it gets simpler, it gets less expensive, it becomes more accessible to a broader range of people. And so 
I think one of the biggest things that will probably make a difference this year is that for many folks who use Facebook or have been trying Facebook Live, Facebook Live just announced that they have 360 degree capabilities as well. Oh, wow. The Periscope app. And you can get one of these 360 cameras, degree cameras that I mentioned, like the Droptic IO or the Insta360 Nano, mm -hmm. and put that on your camera and Periscope will recognize it as a 360 degree camera wow. and send that stream into Facebook Live. And then you as a user can either pan around in the video uh, or eventually you'll just be able to, to, again, you could put on goggles probably uh, if you're using Facebook mobile yeah, and have this really great experience um, where you get this 360 degree uh, experience for just a few hundred dollars as a consumer. Wow. That's really cool. It does seem like we're moving in a good direction with it. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I mean, between, between Facebook live and what Periscope's doing with Twitter, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like taking technology that's been fairly sophisticated and just a little bit out of the reach of most consumers and putting it into their hands and making it available to the masses. Yeah. And so, I, I think just like YouTube did for video, where now they get millions of pieces of content a day, uh, Facebook Live and and uh, Twitter and uh, and you know folks like this who are doing live streaming from mobile devices are really making uh, live video have the same kind of ubiquity that on-demand video now has in uh, in our society. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of. Uh, have you heard of or read the book Ready Player One? I, I have. <laughs> have, you, have you read it? I haven't. It is on my list. It is one of the next things I'm going to read because everyone keeps telling me about it. Holy moly. It was, it was one of those ones like I heard about it and went and read the synopsis and said, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And I just couldn't put it down. I read it straight through in about a week. It was so, so fun. And, and, and it has so much to do with virtual reality and full immersion and haptic suits and haptic gloves and all kinds of really, really crazy full immersion rigs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just one of those sort of future ideas that I just go, it, you know, it's really not that far-fetched. It's actually, <laughs> seems like yeah. that's the direction we're heading in right now, you know? Right, exactly. That was interesting, too. We, we just got back, a couple of us went to CES. Yeah. And, you know, there is part of the experience for, strangely enough, mostly for automotive uh, manufacturers, mm -hmm. a lot of them had virtual cars sitting there. They, they couldn't make give you a ride in an actual car, but on the floor, floor show, they had virtual cars with, you know, the seats that would go up and down and move hmm. and tilt as if you were, you know, it's basically a ride simulator. Wow. They, they put the goggles and the headphones on you. So you were getting this fully immersive experience that really felt like you were going around curves and, and, you know, taking off fast and slowing down fast. And then there was another one that had a complete gyroscopic rig where you were literally spinning around at the same time. As oh, if wow. you were on a roller coaster, plus you're, you're seeing and hearing it as if you were. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, that is just, you know, that's really taking immersion to a new level without having to go anywhere <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> other than uh, sit in the seat and strap in and, and put on some goggles. Yeah, again, it totally reminds me of Ready Player One. They exactly. Have, they that's have... what I was thinking of when you were describing that. It's like, wow, they don't even need the haptic suit for that one. They just actually have the full tilt, rumble, spin. Motion. Well, the, the, the difference, though, is the haptic suits they have, they, they emulate everything. So if you're in this virtual world and somebody punches you in the chest, you're going to feel that punch in the chest through the haptic suit. So it's stuff like that. Or if you get shot with a bullet, it goes... And you can feel the bullet shots hit you and stuff like that. So, wow. yeah, it's pretty well. It, it's not like full pain. It's not like you feel like you're getting shot a bunch of times. But you feel the impact on your skin. Exactly. You feel like, right. oh, I know where it hit me kind of a thing. Right. right. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's a really really imaginative and and fun book. I would highly recommend checking it out. I, I, as I said, it's on my list. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that covered all of my questions. Do you feel like we've missed out on anything? Anything you want to add? I think that's really the key thing. It's just it's all evolving very quickly. We're going to see that melding of VR and AR, and, and you know we we have seen some of our customers already using it, and it's it. You know, it'll be really interesting when they come out and start doing demos of this stuff so everyone else can see sort of the mixed reality scenarios. And it, it will be really interesting to see what 2017 brings as more and more people go buy a $200 camera and snap it onto the end of their phone and start making some really cool videos of just what they do in their daily life, whether it's out riding a bike or... You know, maybe for your friends, uh, you're you're about to go on that Kunu roller coaster, and the the line is a, a thousand people long. But you can show them all what it's like by by having this phone with you strapped right. onto your arm or your your you know your helmet or something. It's just going to be really interesting to see where that allows us as consumers even mm -hmm. to share with our friends and other folks who aren't there with us the complete experience, not just what a two-dimensional camera with a small field of view can show you, but the whole thing, what's happening all around in real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like out here in Colorado, the big thing is everybody puts the GoPros up on their helmets when they go skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. I just imagine that within the next five years, that's, you know, those are going to be gone. It's just going to be 360. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, cool. Um, I think that's going to do it uh, for all my questions. So, Chris, thank you so much for doing this with me, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Daniel, it was my pleasure. Thanks, Chris. I'll talk to you soon. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's going to do it for our show this week. Hopefully everybody at home found this podcast either informative, helpful, or some combination of the two. If uh, you did like what you hear, have any questions for us, feel free to comment on this podcast, or you can reach us at Twitter, which is going to be at Wowza Media, Facebook.com slash Wowza, or if you want to get in touch with us more directly, you can reach us at support at Wowza.com or sales at Wowza.com. Thanks everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>